I'm Bianca Vivione, and this is Ask Viv. Welcome to episode 17. Today, I'm going to talk about something that I have wanted to talk to you about for so long, and that is becoming a woman. And this is something that I've had so much time to contemplate over the course of the last year because I feel like, I mean, truly, I have changed so much that if I saw that person that I was in May, I probably wouldn't even recognize her. And that's physically, that's mentally, emotionally. I mean, I am truly a different person. Finally got to the moment where I said, you have to talk about becoming a woman. And the reason that I came to that is because in the States, we celebrated Thanksgiving on Thursday. And I went home to my father's house And you know, the funny thing is, is like you go out into the world and you do this self work and you try to become the most confident, passionate, put together person as put together as I am, as grown as I am. And I seem none of that matters in front of your family. I mean, everybody has experienced this because they have the context of every decade of your life. No matter how big your britches get, no matter how important you may feel out in the world, you come home and that person falls apart they're the only people on earth I mean the only people on earth that can make me 12 again I mean truly we always come to blows we always resort to the same insults I cuss like a sailor I say the same mean things that I said years and years and years ago and this was a year when I was so determined not happen and lo and behold that exact same thing happened seeing myself again in that same 12, 13, 14 year old petty ass place, it really made me confront my notions of womanhood because if I could come home and I can pay my bills and keep my lights on and run a successful business and be a confident, healthy person, maintaining healthy relationships, giving love, getting on a podcast and giving advice. But when I interact with my family and I can turn into this very petty, cruel, prideful person that I fought so hard against being, then I have to in some way confront the legitimacy of the womanhood that I have. I have to. And I'm going to do it with you all because I love you all. And we always do this work together. So something you have to know about me to understand my journey into becoming a woman is that one, I grew up way too fast. When I when I was 15, I was running the streets, pretty much doing whatever. I grew up, took on this very rebellious nature. And I think that as a coping mechanism for a lot of black women, a lot of women of color, a lot of poor women. We just decide at a very young age when the world is forcing us to grow up, we decide that we're grown. It doesn't matter if our mental capacity is still that of a child. It doesn't matter if we have no concept of emotional responsibility, if we have no concept of self-education, if we don't know anything about how to protect ourselves, we're forced to learn very quickly. And so the mantra becomes, I'm grown. I carry that chip on my shoulder. I carry that weight of being a quote unquote grown ass woman pretty much through adolescence and into what really became my adulthood and viewed this world in a binary. And I thought all the time, you're either a lover or a fighter. And I was a fighter and I fought with everyone all the time. You're gonna have to fight to take your place in this world. And for me, my world, my first world was my parents. And so I fought my sisters for the attention of my parents and I really for the attention of my father I would fight them and then I went out into the world and I just took that same attitude 
attitude and I applied it to everything else. But you understand the world is full of vanity and it's and it's wretched. And so that ambition, that fight, it's often celebrated. And that chip on my shoulder of fighting to take my place in the world, I went and I took everything that I wanted. And I got the accolades and I got the trophies and I got the boyfriends and I got the positions and the jobs and the degrees. I got that. The world celebrated that chip on my shoulder. I was rewarded for it. I got leadership positions for it. And it's because in this world, I used to think when I was a child made to be a fighter, I was born to be a fighter and the world made me a fighter. So I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for everything. And for such a long time, I was fighting and I was always winning. I mean, you couldn't get a word in edgewise with me. And it was part of people's recognition at a very young age that I was brilliant. But it was also the thing that got me into the most trouble. And it was that I would fight. If I had to fight with my hands, I fought with my hands. But I was also a very quick thinker, and, and that fight in me, it made me cruel. I had no interest in loving anybody because I just felt like I was owed something. Where's my cut? When's my time? And I didn't give a damn about who loved me. I didn't know anything about love at all. More power. I wanted success. I wanted money. I really, really wanted a way out of the situation that I was in, which was poverty. I wanted a way out so badly, and I would have traded any amount of love for that way out. And I thought that that's what being grown was all about. So I fought all the time. I was always fighting. And as I became a woman, something undid me, and that was this thing called love. I came into contact with love through friendship through building spirituality through being torn down and built back up a thousand times through discovering my identity as an artist through just being in the hood and meeting real people black people who loved on me and saw me for who I was and saw me as my own individual person apart from me and my sisters and that I don't have to fight for my place in the world the place in the world that I thought my whole life I had to fight for when I discovered love I realized that the place that I had is the place that was always mine and a lot of you are walking through the world and you're trying to fight for your place fighting against your co-worker or you're fighting for your parents acceptance and approval and attention the place in the world that you have is a place that you will never have to fight for the only thing worth fighting for is love I mean I said this last episode it's love or it's madness those are the two absolutes of the world if it's not love it is absolute madness you come into the world and if you're a fighter like me you take up these fights and you're thinking to your that every single fight is worth it. When I come to the table with that same childish, petty sense of entitlement of what's mine and where I belong and who belongs to me, when I come ready to fight for those things, I now get, I see so clearly, every single fight that you show up to like that, you've already lost. You've already lost. And I think that the tragic thing, the thing that broke my heart, when I used to say that I was a grown woman and I was fighting, I was fighting because I was scared. I was scared to lose what little I had and I felt like I had no sense of protection in the world I mean I was walking around bitter I was a child but the thing that I think is so funny that I could not even explain to my sisters when I saw them because I had failed to recognize it myself is that I'm not a child anymore and when I look at the state of my household now and I look at the state of my relationship with my sisters that has been one fight after the other for as long as I can quite literally remember and I think of all the culmination of that fight and none of it was worth it for whatever momentary sense of superiority that I felt for every time that I got the last word for every time when I walked away feeling like the better person the more successful person the growner woman none of it was worth it because when I look at the culmination of love loss or when I look at the culmination
culmination of time that it'll take to undo all of the things that I ever said. The woman in me recognizes now that it was not worth it. And not only do I take the hand of the little girl I was and say I'm sorry that you had to fight for everything that you got, but I look at the woman that I am and I know that I don't have that fight anymore. Instead, I choose the better fight. I choose the more worthy fight. I realized that that whole binary and that narrative that I love for so long about there's two types of people in the world, a lover and a fighter, it was false because nobody fights harder than a lover. You never seen a better fight than the fight of somebody who loves something. Lovers are the best fighters, period. And all that fight that I had in me, that chip that I had built on my shoulder is slowly but surely as I have become a woman, it has been replaced by a fight that is always intending to love. All of it is a practice of discernment. And when we have discernment over what it is important to fight for, then not only do we go further in protecting the good love that we have, but we're also more equipped to fight the things that are truly hurting us, fighting the things that are truly trying to get the best of us out in the world. I would be a fool to say that I could go out into the world and I could fight racism or I could fight bigotry or I could fight hatred. And then in my own household, it runs amok simply because of my own ego. And you know, as I go through this journey, I think more and more about the quote of the Sufi poet Rumi. Yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I'm changing myself. And the hardest battle that I've come to find of figuring out what's worth fighting for in the first place. And so wherever you are in your lifetime, think about the things that you fight for because the things that you fight for are a direct reflection of who you are as an adult. And if there are things that you've brought from your childhood that you're still fighting for, if there's things that you were fighting for at 14, that you're still fighting for at 34, then maybe becoming an adult means letting those fights go. And that's my thoughts for the week. So I'm going to get right into these questions because I know that's your favorite part. Dear Viv, I'm 21 years old, a virgin, and have never experienced true romantic love. I've never been in a relationship, rarely date around, but I have my fair share of situations here and there. My question to you is how do I cope with the lack of Eros love I have? I find that it affects my confidence and self-esteem because experiencing love is a norm by this age. I'm tired of feeling inadequate and worthless because of it. Any advice? Let me tell you what I wish somebody would have told me at 15 years old, which is when I got into my first real romantic relationship and when I lost my virginity. One, if you have these feelings of inadequacy and lack of self-esteem as you claim, not only will getting into a romantic relationship not diminish it, but the second that that relationship goes left, as it always does, because relationships take all types of turns, it will heighten it. Because if you do not have your own sense of security and self-dependence, then you will develop codependency in which you will look for that sense of self-esteem and you will look for that sense of adequacy in becoming the object of somebody's affection. And while it may feel good at first to be acknowledged and admired and recognized for who you are, the second that that person is tired of you, the second that that person is not able to provide that confirmation of adequacy, you will feel deeply inadequate and you will feel lost. And this is something that will occur again and again and again until you develop a real 
actual relationship with yourself. And guess what? It's mirrored in sex too. What I wish somebody would have told me at 15 before I engaged in sex is that my body was mine. And even though my fir very first sexual experience, it was one that was loving, felt safe, I felt protected. It was still, I had no idea that my body was mine. And because I had such intense romantic feelings, all I wanted to do was take this thing that I, I called a body and I wanted to give it to somebody else. I mean, it's a huge trope in old Western romantic movies where right before they have sex, they say, take me. That's what I wanted. I just wanted to give myself to somebody else. And I didn't know that my body was mine to give. And so later on in, in other sexual experiences at 16, at 17, at 18, I felt like I had to offer my body as a confirmation of love or my body was taken from me and I had a very deep sense of violation or I gave my body as a favor to say, oh, well, I feel like because you gave all this time or because you spent this money, I owe this to you. I had no idea that my body was mine because I hadn't developed a sexual relationship with my body. And part of the issue with this is how we raise children. So much of this is an issue of how we come into womanhood, how we come into manhood, how we come into ourselves is that children have sexualities. We're not taught that at all in Western culture. Children have sexualities and children are not taught that their bodies belong to them. And that as a child, what they should do is explore their bodies. They should touch themselves. They should get to know what, what feels good to them, what doesn't feel good to them inside of their own body so that when they come into adulthood, when it's time to experience sexual experiences, they know that their body is their own, that it's not an object to be lent or exchanged or transacted upon. It is their own body and they can do with it what they like because it is theirs. And if you haven't learned that lesson yet, you're in for a world of pain and violating experiences, real trauma, because that is so much of what hurt about being forced to become a woman and being hypersexualized before you're ready is that you have all these eyes on you and your body feels like it belongs to everybody on the street that's looking at you every guy who's trying to feel up on you you know dirty little teenage boys at the high school it belongs to everybody but you're not told that it's yours and a lot of women they never learn that it's theirs and so you're 21 years old I know that this is gonna sound strange but you are blessed you're blessed to be able to have a very developed adult mind that can actually make a choice to explore your own sense of self your own sense of confidence you're be being given a chance to fall in love with yourself. And I'm not talking on some cliche, oh, self-love, internet bullshit. I'm saying like develop a real sexual and romantic relationship with yourself so that you don't have feelings of codependency or sexual violation when you finally take that step to engage with somebody else. Don't engage with people out of desperation. Do it because you are so passionate about who you are. You love yourself so much. I know that I'm a woman now. I know that I've come into my own because I know what I like in sex. I don't have bad sex. I won't have bad sex. And if it's bad the first time, we're never, ever, ever going there again. It's never gonna happen. I'm not doing any freebies, any second chances. Like, I don't do that. Because with my body, I know what I like. I know what feels good. I know what doesn't feel good. I'll never go back there. I'm not 15 anymore. I'm so in love with myself and that I really have a real sense of who I am, of what's nice about me. I know what I bring to the table in a romantic relationship. When a man spends time with 
with me, I enjoy it because I know what he's getting in spending time with me. I'm not sitting there wondering, does he like the way that I'm dressed? Does he like the way that I look? Am I being funny? Am I interesting? No, I know that I'm interesting. I know I'm a great cook. I know I'm funny. I have so many stories. I've been places, I've done things, and I know when I sit at the table that I am excited to share that person with somebody else. I'm not self-conscious. I'm not thinking, oh, can this person validate me? Can I get confidence from this interaction? I'm simply there to share myself with somebody who I think has the possibility of being worth receiving that person. Maybe a possibility for good love or even just a good time. And I'm not sitting there constantly wondering, oh my God, is this person, can I own this person? Can I give myself to this person? Because I don't believe that they can own me. and I have no desire to own them. When you have that sense of security in yourself, when you have that sense of security in your sexuality, when you can come to the table as a whole person, then you're not one, looking to own somebody else. And two, you can really just be present and enjoy romance. Romance is not as serious to me as it once was. I don't go into places looking to own men the way that I once did. I don't want to latch on to a man. I don't want to take a man home. I don't look at it as a conquest. I don't look at it as an extension of myself. I look for good times, for good people, for beautiful experiences, for pleasure. I look and I accept things for what they are and it's why I've been able to meet good people and have good relationships without all of the weight of codependency that a lot of women have. And because you are 21 years old, you have the possibility for that wonderful and beautiful experience and an array of adventure that will come when you fully come into yourself. So just take that time, fall in love with you. And as cliche as that sounds, you'll be swinging them off you. I mean, seriously, a real confident woman who's sure of her sexuality, no matter how you look, that kind of woman, you'll be batting men away. That shines through. Everyone can tell when a woman knows who she is. That's the sexiest thing, period. Not even just men, like people will just want to be around you because of you walk into a room and you know that you've brought yourself to the room. That's love. That's self-love. Dear Viv, I tried for a very long time to steal my heart against hurt, which meant a lot of compartmentalization and ultimately missing out on love. I've realized the cost of protecting myself against the inevitable was too great and I've really fallen for someone. We're in a quote-unquote will-they-won't-they dance and I feel like I've been totally gutted and emotionally exposed. How are you supposed to be open with your heart while protecting yourself so the sheer wave of emotion doesn't devastate you? So basically what you're asking me is how do you fall in love without falling in love? You're gonna let it devastate you. I just think it is so funny to me that people try to outsmart falling in love. I mean, you must think that you're the smartest person on earth because people have been trying to do that since the very beginning of time. I mean, literally since the beginning of time. Let it take you over. Feel everything. Okay, so I I got involved with a guy, right? I wasn't supposed to get involved with him, let's just say. I'll just leave it at that. It was a guy I was not supposed to like. I was not supposed to get involved with him. And I was so frustrated by the fact that I was feeling love. I was so frustrated by the fact that I was feeling hurt or that I was angry. Whatever I was feeling, I was mad at myself for feeling it and so I hid it away. And the people I was supposed to share it with, my best friends, my mother, the people I share everything with, I couldn't share it with them because I was so damn embarrassed to say that I had fallen in love with somebody that I knew I was not supposed to fall in love with. And you know what it did? It made it much more dramatic. (laughs) Much, much more dramatic. It dragged out the heartbreak. I listened to way too many Aretha Franklin songs. I would literally sit in the bathtub for two hours 
just crying and thinking about how devastating it was to be caught up in such a rapture, such an emotional wave of something that I had absolutely no control of and no resolve for, and yet I couldn't make it go away. And so you know what I did? When I gave myself permission to feel things, do you know what I did to resolve it? I told him I loved him. And everybody around me was like, are you crazy? It was the only thing that made me feel better because I realized that all of my ridiculous actions, all of this drama, all of the theatrics and performativity of heartbreak, all this wondering and wanting for tenderness and thinking, should I call him up? Should I never talk to him again? I was like, I should just delete his number. I deleted his number at a point. I said, should I avoid this neighborhood? And I just told him I loved him because it left let me off the hook. Because all the time I realized that's what I meant. Do you understand? When you just tell people that you love them, when you give yourself permission to experience love, when you stop trying to outsmart the most powerful emotion on earth, when you really just try to be in the moment, to be involved, when you just say, I love you, when you profess it, you free yourself. You're at the beginning of a new world. Possibility of what opens up inside of you, not just for that person, but for your life. When you just say, I love you and I'm not afraid of it. And if it devastates you, it devastates you. If your heart breaks, it breaks. You know what's so funny? When I told this person I love them, they didn't say I love you too. They never ever said it. It never happened. And I had gotten to a point in my womanhood where for the first time in my life, I knew I had grown up because I was okay with it. And you know why? Because love, when you say I love you, it's a promise of work. I just wanted to tell this person, I will work to be around. I will stay around. I will watch you grow up. I will fight for who you are. I will be a witness to the man that you become. I will be a friend. You can call me if you need me because because I love you and I've always loved you and I'll always love you. And I needed him to know that because it took all the theatrics off the hook and it minimized all the rest of the madness that was going on. This is what I'm talking about. When you realize what's worth fighting for, all the performativity, all the let me ignore you, let me call you up, let me not say what I mean, let me show up angry, let me leave early, all of the little pettiness It was just so that I could run away from the admittance that I love this person deeply. And whether it was on purpose or on accident, it didn't matter at that point because it was real and it's still real and it's somebody that I'll always love. And it was freedom. The admission of love grants you a type of freedom that nothing else will. So tell this person that you love them and then buck up and take all the consequences that come with love because that is what an admission of love is. An admission of love is an acceptance of consequence period. I love you. So I will take on whatever it means, whatever comes with that love. Dear Viv, I'm a Muslim girl and I noticed that you use a lot of Islamic words and phrases that symbolize belief in Allah. So do you recognize yourself as a Muslim woman? And if you do, how did you go about finding this path? And if not, this begs the question, why not? I get this question so much. You all are always dying to know. Let me go ahead and make this extremely anticlimactic. I'm Muslim. I converted to Islam when I was 18 years old. This is a perfect anecdote for my story of becoming a woman. I grew up in evangelical Baptist Christian churches of the South. Southern Baptist churches are 
extraordinarily interesting. They're not anything like Catholicism or even your average Protestant church. The preachers are larger than life, choirs, the most beautiful music you've ever heard, and they're wrought in black culture. What it means to be black in America can hardly at all be divorced from what it means to be evangelical Baptist Christian, even if you grow up Muslim. So I, I learned blackness. I learned community through evangelical Christian church. The problem was, is that growing up, I was brilliant. <laughs> I was so smart and I was so headstrong and it's very difficult when you grow up in a religion that tells you that God made man in his image. It was the worst thing for somebody like me. Not only because that image of God, I always saw God as a white bearded man in the sky because that's so much of the imagery of the Christian church that it was so indoctrinating to me that even when I was divorced from that belief as I became older, as I was coming into womanhood, it was very, very difficult to divorce the idea that God made man in his image because I was somebody whose ego was so big that I could not divorce the idea of myself from God. And I couldn't discern the voice in my head, a voice that was so articulate and thought that she knew everything and had answers and responses for everything, that even when that voice was saying evil things, I couldn't discern that voice from God. And so much of the rhetoric of the Christian church was that when I started to look for spirituality and when I looked for solace and peace in the Christian church, all it did was reaffirm that same voice. In Christianity, it's so easy to make men into gods. I mean, it's no wonder it is the choice religion of the Western world. I mean, I mean that very truly and sincerely. And I, this is from somebody who grew up in Christianity. It is so easy for them to build idols because Jesus was a man. And I think that the first thing that attracted me to Islam from the beginning when I first, I read the Quran as a school assignment and I couldn't stop reading. I got into it and it was something that I started to engage with and it began to save my life because the one tenet of it, the central tenet of Islam is that there's one God and that he is nothing like man. <laughs> and one of the first things I learned about Islam is that there was no pictures allowed of God in the religion, that everything was done through the word and that it was an original word that was hardly changed, if at all, from its original translations. And so for me, somebody who was going through the destruction of my ego that I talked about, somebody who was really going through fire, through a real destruction of self, who I was trying to escape from that voice in my head that had been so potent, so powerful, that most people to get away from a voice that's as loud and as rambunctious as the one in my head, they'd probably resort to drugs. But for me, I knew it was going to have to be religion or else I would definitely die. I was definitely on that kind of path to destruction. And so I found that it was so nice to just know that there was one God, that I was not that God, that that God resembled not me or anybody that I had ever looked like, that there was just the word. And all I had to do was submit to that God and study the word. And that's exactly what I did. And still to this day, I read the Quran every single day. And I love that there was a proxy. I love that there was a way to know that I was becoming Muslim because I love that there was these five pillars. You pray five times a day, you give zakat. And I realized the power of my words. It was in the way that Muslims would tell me inshallah or hamdulillah everything was some way attributed to God if you saw something beautiful you said mashallah because you attributed the beauty to God if you wanted something to happen you say inshallah because you know that that anticipation is only if the willingness of God is to allow that thing to happen everything it centered my life around something other than myself and for somebody that was as self-centered as me it changed my entire world I was not I was no longer competing with God and I was allowed to finally dis 
disbelieve the voice inside of my own head. And that is the greatest freedom that I've ever known. A real, real freedom. And also, it divorced me from so many Western notions of whiteness and indoctrination that I had been indoctrinated with. I mean, I had absolutely no idea. Ideas of what womanhood was. I mean, even sexuality. One of the fundamental things, and I loved about Islam, is that Islam views sexuality as paradise. I mean, the way the descriptions of Jana, the descriptions of heaven, view sexuality as a paradise, understand that sex is related to paradise, is related to pleasure, is related to heaven, versus in Christianity, sex is seen as man's fall from God. Man's fall from heaven is done through sexuality. It's not seen as an end, it's seen as a terrible beginning from which all hell breaks loose. Even in still, in that, it is a spirituality. But for me, spirituality is not a euphemism for diluted religion. <laughs> I still think that organized religion, which is God as manifested through the hands and structures of man, is evil through and through. And Islam has been responsible for a lot of evil, a lot of imperialism, a lot of patriarchy. I know friends that grew up in Islam that it has truly broken them, broken, it is broken them. But for me, I needed a language through which to speak to God. And Islam gave me the language and it gave me the proxies of what I was supposed to do every single day with my life, how I was supposed to maintain. And you know, funny enough, the thing that still brings me back to God whenever I'm so lost is still the Christian Baptist gospel music that I grew up in because that is just another way that language through that music was so much of my first experiences with God but my spirituality it's very much my own and it's something that I'm always coming to terms with. Dear Viv, what kind of demands should women make in relationships to make sure they are valued and shown their value from the gate? Let me let you all in on a little secret. It's not what you demand it's what you accept i was always a bluffer this is something that i very very recently i mean in the last year have gotten out of doing and thank god i did i was always one of those people that came to the table with a list of things i needed i said i was on my can you pay my bills can you pay my telephone bills can you pay my automobiles on my destiny's child independent woman every single man that i ever met listing 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 blah 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 it didn't matter because I was also that person that the minute that I got into a comfortable situation, the minute that I got a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of recognition, acknowledgement, whatever, the minute I started feeling, dude, I would acquiesce. I would immediately compromise. I would be like, okay, well, you don't need to have this because you have that or whatever. I'd be doing this mental math in my head to compensate for these men and then shoot myself in the foot because down the line, those things that I needed, those fundamentals that I promised myself I wouldn't compromise for, I ended up compromising for. And then at the end, it was still the stuff that I complained about. And it was those things that I felt slighted for. Do you understand? So it's not what you demand, it's what you accept. At the end of the day, people come with what they come with. It doesn't matter if you if you meet, you know, a lower middle class dude that has two kids that lives with his moms, whatever it is, has bad credit. It doesn't matter if you demand that he be not in a relationship with his baby moms, has good credit, has a car, has a house to himself. Like, what do your demands matter? If that's what the guy has, that's what he has. You have to go in with both eyes open. 
you have to fight that overwhelming sense in romance that forces women to compromise. You have to fight it by actually leaving when you threaten to leave. Say for instance, I had a boyfriend that I was with for two years. At the beginning, he was always wasting my time. I mean, literally, he was always, he would be like, oh, I was working late, or he'd show up to a date late, or he wouldn't show up at all. And at the end of the relationship, he was still wasting my time. He would still show up to things late. He would still forget to call if he wasn't coming. And even though at the beginning, to me, it was a definitive deal breaker, I acquiesced because I thought this is a really cool guy. He's special and I care for him. And yet it ended up being the things that the end that I was still the most pissed about and felt like damn he wasted so much of my time but I accepted that and I allowed that to happen so there must have either been something in me that thought that I deserved that something in me must have thought my time wasn't actually that important something in me this is why I said it's important to build that place in yourself where you know who you are because something in me must have felt like that was okay because I was willing to compromise now that could never ever ever happen and let me tell you what this does for you by saying I'm gonna leave or not even making threats by actually leaving by making demands and actually holding men to them it does two things one it brings a different caliber of man in your life by process of elimination you will stop even attracting those type of people the caliber of men that I talk to now are nothing like the caliber of men that I talked to two years ago they are nothing alike they are literally day and night the people that I used to talk to if they were to approach me to this day they wouldn't even get three seconds because they wouldn't get past go the men that I talk to now they tend to be more serious men and that's because what I was demanding was a more serious type of person and if a man says that he can't make a date or if he wastes my time or if he forgets to tell me he's not showing up and he asks to hang out again I say no I really mean it I mean no and you have to develop this sense of urgency towards actually forming the kind of relationships you want to see with the kind of people that you actually want before you get emotionally entangled and you start compromising a bunch and it's much more difficult to leave because now you have all these emotional ties. Start before you even give a fuck about the person. Start very early onward so that you're not later on shooting yourself in the foot like oh I love this person should I leave you should have left before you loved the person because they're still that person you can't date potential trying to love people and their potential and that was the phase that I was in when I was into oh my god I should have made all these demands relationships are by as is it's as is I'm not into build a man I'm not into I'm not cat this is not build a bear I don't go in being like I need you to have six figures I need you to have a car I need you to have an apartment to yourself I need you to have health insurance I need you to have a good relationship with your mother I don't go in trying to raise men I see them for who they are going with both eyes open and if they're not what I'm looking for I look in the other direction I walk away and that's that's not any shade towards who these people are because I'm sure they will make some woman happy but I know it's not me so why why despite my own good sense would I engage emotionally with that why waste my own time you know what it started with it just started with taking myself more seriously I had to take myself more seriously show what you demand by your actions you keep growing you keep winning that is all the time that we have for today if you've made it this far in the episode i thank you profusely i hope that you are proud of the people that you're becoming i'm proud of the person that i'm becoming i'm proud for the person that i fought for i'm proud for the things that i fought for i'm going to keep fighting for those things 17 episodes this is always such 
an honor. I mean, every single time takes my breath away just how good it feels to have come this far with you all. 17 episodes. Seven is my favorite number. It's a special number, and I think this is going to be a special time that I'm entering into my life. Thank you for engaging in it with me. Thank you from wherever in the world you are listening. I see all these places that you are listening from, and it always absolutely takes my breath away. Thank you for your wonderful letters from episode 16. Whatever the show means to you, just know it means a thousand times more to me to be able to engage with all of you. So until next time, more life, more love. I'm Bianca Vivion and this is Ask Viv. When I was a young boy.